Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Boys in the I call them the globalists, the fascists, the cabal, banker cabal. Uh, they have another name. It begins with the last letter of the alphabet, which will not be discussed from my mouth. Yeah. Uh, the last thread I had was when too many phone conversations were taking place in 2009, and uh, the topic was the last letter of the alphabet. So let's just leave that alone. I call them the banker cabal, call them the globalists. That, I think that's fine and well understood. There's been good progress. That's my point. There's been good progress in removing the middle layers so that the upper layers, the upper level, the uber lords, the people you never hear the names for, we always hear the names of their top generals, like Soros, right? like Rothschild, like uh, Rockefeller when he was around, mm-hmm. uh, like Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan, like Lloyd Blankfein of Goldman Sachs. Okay, these are the generals. They're not the uberlord. They're the generals. Uh, they carry out the orders from the uberlords whose names and lives you never hear about. For instance, just start with the board members who own the Federal Reserve. Mm. And I, I ask a question to, to many people, and I never get an answer. Well, that's not true. I, I have one or two contacts who have given me one name. I asked them, can you name a single person on the board of directors, the owners, for the Federal Reserve? And I usually get a lot of blank air. Uh, the only name I can recall is War is Warburg. Warburg. Yeah. Okay. Right. All right. Fine. There's several names, and that's one of them. And I don't really care. But those are the people who awarded themselves following Lehman and that failure kill job. They awarded themselves twenty-three trillion dollars in near zero percent loans. And you know. I like to joke, uh, how would it be if, if I get a $10 million 0% loan? Um, hmm. That'd be handy. <laughs> okay, there. I, I, I made a, a direct comment following Lehman in 08. Uh, I said we're going to be moving to 0% quickly. And right. these people who awarded themselves the, the multi-trillion dollar loans, they're getting prepared to buy up global assets when things turn very, very sour. I mean, they, they're, they can go on a buying spree and they've got a mortgage that's near zero for, you know, service costs. This is why Ron Paul has been such a champion in eliminating some of the, uh, oh, what's the word, the darkness mm-hmm. and the, the shadows behind this activity. Um, and, you know, he... It's a real shame Ron Paul doesn't have a taller stature and a deeper manly voice. Right. (laughs) That's what gets you elected president. Correct. 
Right. Otherwise, he has that sweet old guy thing going, you know? It's just... But... Yeah. Exactly right. He's got that sweet old guy thing going, and uh, it doesn't quite work on a national debate level, and that's why he's been shut out and, and smeared right. so many times. But his work was stellar. Yes, I mean, it is. Who, who can you name in the last 20 years who forced a Federal Reserve audit and revealed some of the dirty, slimy stuff like the 23 trillion and near zero. It wasn't zero percent, it was near zero. My guess is it was like a half a percent or a quarter percent. Yeah. I mean, it's still ridiculously cheap for servicing the mortgage and uh, or the loan. And, and if they're late, what are the consequences? I mean, I doubt there's anything, any, anything at all. Okay, so let's, let's move on to the first topic. I wanted to mention that there is progress and that is allowing some of the cleanup process to go forward mm -hmm. and I don't know when that will happen and we talk a lot about the sealed indictments and they're now up to something like 24,000 of them yeah I'd like to see I'd like to see just 1,000 unsealed I'd right. like to see 500 unsealed I'd like to see anything I'd like to see 10 unsealed I'd like some publicity on who it was and, you know, I, I have some suspicions that it might be the likes of, say, Bill Gates mm -hmm. and, and guys like that who are involved in, uh, you know, some genocide with respect to their foundations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's move on. Can we? Yep, absolutely. Uh, the latest meeting with the Shanghai Cooperative Organization, the SCO, we've seen two longtime rivals within Southeast Asia come together in an unprecedented way and it's funny to see how the u.s was kicking the pakistanis out then trying to collude to the then they're trying to you know cozy up to the indians and china in one foul swoop along with you know xi jinping and president putin working on the sidelines to get both of these powers together in the seo is quite remarkable what's your take on this latest development jen i think we're we're starting to see uh a real coalescence of uh, the Eurasian trade zone. I, I know that you didn't mention by name the Eurasian trade zone or the Eurasian Economic Union. Yeah. Well, the last thing we need is another EEUU. Um, <laughs> I don't like calling it the Eurasian Economic Union. I like calling it the Eurasian trade zone, the, the right. ETZ. Okay, um, we are seeing the Eurasian trade zone come together in the form of a security pact, a security alliance that is called SCO, Shanghai Co-op Org. Uh, but I believe it's going to eventually be more important, more overshadowing, and more influential than NATO. Um, the United States has corrupted NATO. It used to be a security alliance, and now it's more like a war, war path uh, beating drum organization. Uh, it's it's an organization, an alliance, NATO is, where treaties are being violated in order to comply with Washington wishes to arm the borders and to surround Russia and uh, then blame Russia for aggression. Uh, since when does surrounding Russia with, you know, several different countries and missiles everywhere on their border. Since when is that evidence of Russia's aggression? Uh, the aggression is with NATO. 
And NATO is seemingly a target by Trump to weaken and to, I think, fracture. I, when he goes to France and Germany and tells them you need to pay a bigger bill on NATO, they come back and say, well, you know, we don't want to. Uh, we'd rather have our own European military related and tied to the European Union. So why don't you get lost? Okay, that's the response. And I think Trump is a very clever guy. Uh, a lot of people regard him as a bit of a boob, and I don't. I think that's his public persona. I mean, when I have something dangerous to say in, in a small group, I sometimes present myself as a clown. Right, right. To, to defuse the tension. And, uh, you know, here's, here's an example. When, when people ask me, Jim, I'm going to meet you for dinner in front of the hotel, uh, the Grand Hotel de Costa Rica, next to the, uh, the museum, uh, the theater, the National Theater, how will I recognize you? I mean, I realize this is, this is potentially risky. So I say, well, I'm the guy who will have Hasidic curls on my sideburns and a Mexican sombrero. <laughs> okay, got to defuse this. Right, um, right. Okay, so Trump, Trump comes along as a, comes across as a boob, and I, I think what he's trying to do is to end NATO, not properly finance it. I think he realizes that it is a grand problem, arming the Baltic states, violating NATO treaties, and then accusing Russia of aggression. It's the absolute opposite. Okay, so you have with SCO suddenly two of the most bitter rivals in all of the Eastern Hemisphere. I mean, you, you could point to the Saudis and the Iranians. That's fine. I think when you point to the, the I India and Pakistan, you're dealing with another higher level of conflict that's gone on for years. Yeah. Uh, they're both nuclear powers. Iran and Saudi are not. They have enormous population, like 1.3 billion. And suddenly, SCO doubled in population. Suddenly. And who's the last to notice? The American public. Who's the last to acknowledge? The United States government. Okay. They're, they're now, now part of the... Eurasian Trade Zone Security Alliance. Now, this started out, SCO, I studied this way back in 04 and 05 when I started the newsletter. I was thinking, you know, this SCO is going to grow. And I don't know what it's going to become. But let's just look at the nations that are in it. Well, to begin with, there was a former Soviet Republic. And I said, okay, yawn. That's not a big deal. But then, then it was more. It was China, okay. Uh, and then you had Iran as a guest member. Well, now they're in. And then you had India and Pakistan as guest observer members. And now they're in. Uh, this is far more than the fo former Soviet republics. This is becoming the core of the entire Eurasian trade zone. It's Russia, China, et al. And et al. has billions in population. And not just Bill, you, you know, you get the poo-pooers in the United States saying, oh, yeah, but they got their little rickety economies. 
the Eurasian trade zone has something like 60 to 65 percent of the global GDP now. That's yeah, yeah. not trivial. I've been saying for five years the dollar will face a severe challenge when those nations that oppose it and seek an alternative like the gold standard in whatever form, when they form a critical mass. Because you can't have three nations going on the gold standard. Let's just imagine, say, five years ago, the Swiss, instead of going on their peg, the mm -hmm. 120 euro, the Swiss announced, let's just, this is hypothetical, let's say the Swiss decided to go to a gold standard. Well, their currency would be small in the international sense, not a lot of critical mass. They might have had, you know, one or two nations like, you know, let's just say Liechtenstein joins them, Luxembourg yeah. joins them. And they didn't have any critical mass, so their currency doubled and then went up even more, and they lost their entire export trade. That's the consequence of not having critical mass. Correct. You, you, you are killed by your success. Your currency rises. Everything becomes cheap to import, but you can't export anything because your currency is too high. Okay, now move to the Eurasian trade zone. They got 60 to 65% critical mass on the GDP global scale. Which is They huge. got an even higher population ratio on the global scale. And if they go to the gold standard step by step, they're going to be waiting in the valuable, clean, non-toxic waters. Mm -hmm. And they're going to see a success. Okay, That's what I see is coming with the Eurasian trade zone, which is going to see some protection by SCO and look to see the S-300 and other Russian missiles being a key part of that protection system within the SCO alliance. This is powerful yeah. stuff. This is NATO, I think, from the east. Mm -hmm. They're going to challenge NATO and eventually they're going to face NATO and I think NATO will back down. I mean, NATO is going to have nothing left by that. Uh, they're a uh, uh, division of uh, transgender troops. That's the only thing they're going to have going for them, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> the the whole division, <laughs> the European that's, that's the EU army. It's it's a joke. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, of that topic, I'd like to mention something. The information for which I got from my own sources. Um, I, I used to have a really good source internal U.S. military high high level security NSA kind, but I, I don't talk to him anymore because anyway, I, I don't want to mention why I don't talk to him. He's just not a not a good guy. Um, mm -hmm. Not, not someone I want to keep as a friend, but uh, I learned something. He said, Jim, are you aware that the number one cause of non-battle, you know, off the battlefield, non-battlefield death in the U.S. military is suicide? Right. And 20 I said, a day. 20 a day. Um, and I said, no, I wasn't aware of that. What is behind that? And he said, homosexual rape. No. He said it's not prosecuted. He said this is what Clinton and Obama have imprinted on the U.S. military. They are both homosexual, bisexual, and narcotics addicts. Clinton right. and Obama both put their imprint of, you know, what was it? 
no, no tell, uh, no talk, no tell. What do they call it? Clinton had a little fr- catchphrase, uh, and and then it was uh, with Obama. It was it was actual uh, silence and uh, what's the word? Damn it! What's the word? Um, accommodation. Right. Um, but we're not talking about women being raped and committing suicide. I'm talking about men being raped by men and committing suicide because their officers don't do anything about it. Okay, let's move on. I don't think the uh, the Russian and Chinese military have that problem. No, they don't. They okay, don't. There's something else I'd like to mention regarding um, the whole Eurasian trade zone, and it, it's a it, it's another little acronym. It's TPX. Uh, starting to hear it more, starting to hear the concept more without the acronym, but I think the acronym is going to grow. We're talking about Trump, Putin, and Xi, mm-hmm. the U.S., Russian, and Chinese leaders, I think are working in coordination at a very high level to install the gold standard. Mm. And the gold standard will be will be on the economic side, where denuclearization will be on the political side. Remove the fascist elements and remove the nuclear threat. That will be the political side. And you're starting to see that in the Korean Peninsula, and cooperation with China, and a lot of things. So what what the public is seeing is trade war trade friction, trade tariffs, U.S. versus China, U.S. versus Europe, China versus Europe even, but that's at the lower level. And I'm starting to believe that Trump's posturing toward trade tariffs with respect to China is to force China to make concessions with respect to the Korean Peninsula and an, an additional important inclusion in the Eurasian trade zone. So far, China, uh, so far, Japan and Korea are not mentioned much at all in the Eurasian trade zone in its formation economically. You don't see China signing at the table at the Belt and Road deals with Japan and Korea. But it's coming. And yeah. you do see something on the fringe. You see Japan working with Russia and the Sakhalin Island, which is really an extension of the Japanese islands to their north. I mean, t- remove the country barriers and the lines on the map. And you say, oh, look at that. Japan has a bunch of islands. They go way, way up near Japan. Well, OK, the top is Sakhalin Island of Russia. It's a big production center for natural gas. Mm -hmm. The Japanese want pipelines across Sakhalin into Japan to supply. Let's leave Fukushima out of this discussion if we can. But the the point is Japan, through their own energy needs for the last several years, is signing up with Russia. Okay, Korea's not. Korea has lots of weird little battles going on with tourist trade. And China, mm-hmm. and and obstacles from tourist agencies, and you know visa uh, obtaining visas, and a lot of you know it's weird bickering. I call it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but look for the TPX angle: Trump, Putin, Xi, Xi. 
they are working an agenda and they don't talk about it. Because if they did, you'd have the U.S. Congress saying, what are you doing, President Trump? You're, you're, you're talking about a cooperative venture with the Russians and Chinese that opposes the dollar. So yeah. we're going to have to sanction the White House because that's what we do in the Congress. We sanction the whole world that doesn't like the dollar. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. So watch this TPX angle and see what they're up to more by inference than by stated headlines in the news. Very interesting uh, yeah. stuff. Absolutely. I, I mean, something. There, there's no doubt that something is going on. I mean, recently North Korea has said that, hey, we're going to dial back the anti-U.S. propaganda. We're going to you know, start cutting that down. Uh, the rumors are flying already that there's going to be a Trump-Putin uh, summit coming up in July. Uh, there is some, and, and you know what? And I think the American public at large is very favorable towards this. They're they're very favorable in seeing these developments. It is a breath of fresh air from the last several decades of perpetual war, perpetual war, perpetual debt, perpetual war. That vicious cycle, Jim. So yes, I, I, I it, it's great to see this. I, I I believe what you say wholeheartedly. My, my guys are saying the same thing. It's uh, th there is some there is movement. There is something's going on. Absolutely. Well, it's only going to increase the rift between the American public and the U.S. Congress. Oh, yeah. Because Congress is not going to sign on to this. No. They're going to say, we, we don't like this summit with, tr with Trump and Putin, and we're going to have a delegation that goes with you so that they can sabotage it. I mean, there's just nothing productive coming out of the Congress, period. Uh, I, I regard it as a two-party Congress, the populists, which include the Tea Party, and right. the fascists, the neocons, which have both red coats and blue coats. Those are the two parties, fascists and right. populists. Right. And I think the fascists have 75% of the Congress, maybe 80, maybe even a little more than 80. That's how powerful the fascist movement is in the United States. I've had a couple of very uh, difficult conversations recently. I don't even want to mention with whom, but it, it comes from the U.S. And it had to do with, do people even know what fascism is? No, they have no clue. Do people have an interest in knowing what fascism is? No, it's, it's easier... For the most lazy of Americans, it's easier just to blurt out the axiom fascist and not even know what it means. The fascists are accusing the those in favor of democracy of being fascists. That's how <laughs> sickening and weird it's gotten. I mean, can you imagine communists pointing to the outside, accusing others of being communists? This is getting so whacked out, V, that, you know, the, the intelligence level of the American public in terms of political identification is just rock bottom, miserable, pathetic. Yeah. I challenge people, I, I'd probably do it twice a month. Do you know what fascism is? Can you define it? Can you give me an example of how it shows itself? And all I ever hear is, well, you know, Nazi Germany. I said, no, no. That's, I didn't ask for a historical past example. I'm talking about a current 
definition of how it works and how you see it today. Yeah. And, and they no, I, I don't know. I, I don't really no, I really don't know. <laughs> so, okay, then, then you are with the Bush family with the ADIQ. Correct. That's well, you, what you, 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 a lot. You look at uh, you look at most of these Antifa idiots that are out there, right? These idiots wouldn't know fascism if it came up and snuck up behind them and gave them a wedgie. <laughs> <laughs> They wouldn't know that. That's a nice image. All right. Let me move on to uh, topic two because I'm I'm afraid I'm a bit long-winded in in the early topics. Oh, yes. Hold on one second, Jim. I apologize. Okay. My uh, screen just went dark. Hold on. This is weird. Okay. Topic two. The other thing is this. We have a lot of things going on. Gold is on the move. What is the current state of the Petro Yuan, the gold settlement that goes along with it? Uh, what's your uh, latest intel telling you? My latest intel, <laughs> I love that phrase, um, what I'm hearing from my, my best sources and my, my brightest colleagues, and, you know, I got, I got, there are nine of, of us in the Jackass Colleague group, and some contribute more than others. And it, it's it's all very very interesting and and stimulating to get a, a little debate going. But we got one going uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, and they don't happen every day. But it had to do with what what will release the gold market. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the problem with the gold market? And I made a comment that the the exchange for physical that uh, is, a pre- is a new procedure that was brought into London is so successful in falsifying the delivery that wow. it is going to kill the COMEX and LBMA. It's just too successful. They're, they're putting boundaries up and down on the gold price and they're, they've always falsified the uh, the supply, you know, the, the selling, the paper selling, paper dumping, you know, uh, six months of global output just got sold in six, in, in, in last 30 or 40 minutes and no no deliveries will come at all. Well, what, they, what they've done is they've contaminated the actual delivery side to complete the loop on the fraudulent transactions having to do with gold and silver. It's called exchange for physical EFP. And and you, you get a number of people like, like uh, you know, TF Metals. Craig Hemke has documented some things that the actual physical delivery that they claimed moved in a given month was like five times more than their inventory and rivaled global output for the year. In other words, it's so much a mockery that what they've done is they force legitimate gold demand to go to Shanghai. Perfect. And, and in Shanghai, you've got the gold, oil, and RMB contract triangle now in place. The, the in Holy place. Trinity. The Holy Trinity. And, and it's really the Holy Trinity of the gold standard. Yes. Uh, it will enable the gold trade note to be launched. So what the voice said to me and, and the, the colleagues, another uh, jackass colleague group, um, he said there are two events that are coming, and I'm not at liberty to say, but the two events are coming, and they're not several months away. 
they're not exactly imminent either, but you never know. And I said, you mean like, you know, two to six months? He said, well, it sounds about right, but don't pin it down. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a long-term event, pair of events coming. There are two events that are going to provide tremendous disruption. And I just put out on the table to, to start a discussion. I didn't really intend to, to, to make it my definitive guess, and I didn't want to get slapped down. But I said, okay, so you know, we're, we're going to see the Chinese begin to buy Sar uh, Saudi and Arab oil and pay an RMB term. He said, well, that, that's a given. That's already happening. It's just not much in the news yet. I said, okay, but disruptive events like that, but in follow-on, he said, yes. So here are my two events. They're, they're two rather large events, and they're not simple events. The first event is the failure of Deutsche Bank, which will be an order of magnitude more devastating, disruptive, and ugly, messy than Lehman Brothers. Combined that, this is the single event, the first single event, is the failure of Deutsche Bank combined with the failure and breakdown of the Italian banking system, which could have an Italian government bond default. So the Italians could default on their sovereign bonds. They could have bank runs. They could have seven to 10 or more big banks all fail while Deutsche Bank fails. And little known fact is that the French banks have almost four times the exposure to Italian debt that the Germans do. Yes. So as Deutsche Bank and Italy fail, you're going to have the French banking system fail by contagion. And That's if they the failed, there goes the Germans. Well, yeah, but the I'm saying Deutsche Bank is going to fail. I, okay, I didn't Whatever. say it, but if Deutsche Bank fails, you're going to see two or three German banks fail at the same time. You know, like Commerce Bank. Right. Commerce Bank with a Z. Um, okay, but little known fact is that it's something like, oh gosh, uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it's something like like seventy billion for the German banks and and two hundred and fifty, two hundred and thirty billion by the French banks in exposure to Italian debt. Now I didn't say Italian government debt; I said Italian debt. The Italians themselves have a trillion euro government debt. The Italians alone have 350 or so billion euros of non-performing debt. They're sunk. They're sunk. They're, they're just ruined. And the exposure is more to the French banks than the German banks to look for Society General and PNB Paribas to go down. Yes. Okay. That's the first event. Okay. That's the first trigger event that will release gold. In other words, when Italy, Deutsche Bank, Germany and France all have their severe crisis that's much bigger than Lehman was, look for gold to respond in a favorable way. All right, second event. The second event, I believe, and this, this all ties with the Petro One gold settlement update because when this gold response comes, from Deutsche Bank, Italy, France. It will be noted in Shanghai with huge demand, with a lot of sovereign bonds like US treasuries and Euro bonds coming in, seeking gold. Okay, now the second event. 
completely separate. It's out of Shanghai. It is, I think, the introduction of the gold trade note. So far, all you've seen with the gold oil RMB, the GOR, it's being called the GOR Shanghai Triangle. You call it the Holy Trinity. I call it the GOR Triangle out of Shanghai for futures contracts. Gold, oil, and Chinese currency. Started out with just gold and the Chinese currency. No, gold and oil. Sorry, sorry. Gold and oil. Uh, so that the Russians could sell oil and receive gold. Okay, so there's already precedent in selling oil for gold done by Russia, China. Okay, when the GOR triangle was formed, it really just attracted a lot of attention and you saw a lot of volume come in for Shanghai for offtake of gold and the delivery ramps. And lately you've seen a, a lot of Petro Yuan contracts, the, the oil RMB, the OR part, the oil and RMB, uh, that contract is now growing. And I think before long it's going to exceed Brent and attract even more attention. But so far in the first several months, all you really see is gold volume for delivery and a lot of oil volume in RMB. And it's all well and good. But what's coming is I believe the gold trade note will be introduced for oil purchases done with margin placed in gold for a gold bill. It's like a bill. It's like a treasury bill competitor. It'd be a gold bill and it will be called the gold trade note. I was tipped off about the gold trade note incredibly back in 2014 or so by The Voice. He said, this is where the future development is taking place and it will require a few years. It was either 2013 or 2014. He said, Jim, just keep an eye on it at all times when you see news and developments in the gold world and in, in the, the treasury bond replacement uh, implementation. So when the gold trade note comes in, you're going to see nations say, uh, we want, for instance, I'll just make one up. Japan wants to buy Iranian oil. And, you know, they're not going to do it in the dollar. Duh. They're going to do it in the gold trade note. They need a vehicle for managing the margin to manage the transaction of large size. The GOR contracts for futures will enable the gold trade note to sit atop it and to allow the Japanese to buy Iranian oil and other Persian Gulf, you know, Gulf region oil using a gold trade note. Now, the poo-pooers in the West are saying lately, oh, yeah, but, you know, the oil trade, it's not all that important anymore. It's only something like 13% of global trade in, in dollar transactions. Well, gosh, they seem to have changed their tune. 20 years ago, they were saying the oil trade and payment in dollars is the foundation and the core of the entire dollar system. Correct. Now, suddenly, it's not all that important. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I think gold and oil will be inextricably linked. 
yeah. much like Russia and China did several months ago. The whole entire Holy Grail with China and Russia and their multi-year $200 billion contract, it's all done in non-dollar payments and the Russians are using the RMB uh, as payment and converting them in Shanghai into gold as they see fit in the volume they wish. Okay, this is the prototype. And Japan is going to use this gold trade note. I just bring them up as an example, but it'll be far more bilateral agreements to buy oil and pay for it in gold trade notes and not the treasury bill, which is right. the short-term U.S. treasury vehicle, a security. Okay, when the gold trade note comes, there's going to be another side to this. I think the Chinese are going to announce a pre-announcement a future date without the specific date, a future announcement without the date. They're going to announce that the RMB is going to be gold-backed. The Chinese mm -hmm. currency will be announced as gold-backed, and they're going to give like a, like a guideline of, say, uh, June of 2020. And it will be powerful. And they will also say, this is my forecast, that the tr that the US, uh, sorry the Chinese government short-term bill that will be gold-backed will be interchangeable with the gold trade note. So the gold trade note will be tied inextricably for a future basis to the Chinese RMB currency, like in June 2020. Now, I did not address the Chinese government long-term bond. I'm talking about their short-term bond. You can't have a long-term bond unless you have a working short-term bond. I think the Chinese short-term government bond will be the gold trade note used for Asian purchases of oil starting in the Gulf region in the Middle East and moving on to Angola and Nigeria and maybe to Venezuela. Very exciting pair of trigger events. The Deutsche Bank Italian failure and the launch of the gold trade note with a pre-announcement of a gold back RMB. Those, I think, are the two big events coming. I cannot get a response from The Voice uh, on whether I'm on the right track. But let me tell you this, and I hope it doesn't piss him off. I've noticed in the last several years, last maybe five or six years, that when I ask a direct question, is this the case? Can you confirm or deny? If I'm wrong, he steps forward quickly and says, no, you got that wrong. And, and here's what you're missing. And here, here's a bigger picture for how you can see this better. But if I'm right and he doesn't have the ability <laughs> to confirm it, I get silence. Huh, interesting. You know, it's remarkable that a lot of people are missing this component. These idiots in the West are saying, oh, it's not a big deal. Dollars, dollar usage in, in, in oil is only 13%. It's not a big deal. What they, it, It's such a smokescreen that they throw up with that because most people don't realize, Jim, oil is one of the most financialized commodities on the entire planet. The whole linchpin of the dollar system rests upon that thing, man. It's crazy. It's, it's very important, it, although it is a shrinking 
percentage of global trade payments, it is still the primary uh, payment in global trade. So if the gold community captures it, especially with respect to Asia and Middle East oil, which has an extension to Nigeria and Angola. Angola is a captured nation for China. They're given foreign aid credit in the form. China is giving foreign aid credit to Angola in the form of U.S. Treasury bonds. And what they get back is RMB currency from Angola after the oil is sold, like say, to all their clients. And you know they, they do sell in the open market. So they, they receive RMB and it goes back. China, in other words, is using Angola as a window to convert their treasuries to RMB. This is powerful stuff. This is how China pulls in Africa, West Africa, and their production centers for oil into the Eurasian trade zone, into the usage of the gold trade note for payment. This is powerful stuff. So those are the two triggers that I believe are going to occur. And, you know, th th there's no exclusivity here. It might be five events, and I've, I've identified two. Sorry. <clears throat> I have identified two. Uh, there might be more. Uh, it, it could be a, a big trigger event could be the announcement of the denuclearization of, of the Koreas and a, a movement toward significant Belt and Road contracts. My gosh, that would be powerful, especially if Japan joined in. And then you can say, well, the U.S. vassal states of Korea, South Korea and Japan just flipped into their own backyard of the Asian East. That would be enormously powerful and disruptive. And, you know, it's guaranteed they're moving to the gold standard in the Eurasian trade zone. They're making all the different powerful platform steps. The Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, AIIB, the, the cross-border interbank payment system, sometimes called the Chinese interbank payment system, CIPS to rival SWIFT. You got the Belt and Road. I made a wrong guess a few months ago. This was about March or April. I was talking with a couple of my jackass colleagues. I said, my gosh, you know, I, I don't know the size of the Belt and Road right now, but if I had to guess, I'd say they got a couple trillion dollars. I thought it was high. No, no, the Belt and Road has eight trillion dollars in projects lined up. Correct. And they've begun on many of them. Not all of them, not even the majority, but they're they're getting things lined up. They're getting their, their contractors lined up, their financiers lined up. <clears throat> China is hosting the table. Yes, where they are. People come. The contractors, financiers, the government officials, uh, and, and you know other organizations that are involved in in planning, uh, you know like economic finance groups, um, it's eight trillion. It's all non-dollar, and the United States is just barely in the door. I remember a few months ago I, I put a a note out and it might have been around the March Hattrick letter. I said you know General Electric has got themselves a small presence at the Belt and Road Initiative table. And, and now it's more like about five or six U.S. corporations. They're realizing this is going to be a powerful future impetus. While the United States is busy, busy, busy with a new war every few months 
and arms sales, the Chinese are busy, busy, busy signing multi-trillion dollar construction deals for the infrastructure that Trump promised and never delivered. Trump is hamstrung. Trump has his hands tied. He cannot do the trillion dollar U.S. reindustrialization through infrastructure because we're too busy with war. Yeah. War is destructive of economies, even though the Keynesians have twisted the message and are telling us that war is good for economic growth and produces jobs. I don't think so. I think Jack Ma, CEO of Alibaba, got it right when at a, uh, a, a forum, uh, what was it, the Davos Forum several right. months ago, almost a year ago, said, what has the United States gained from 20 to 25 trillion in Pentagon appropriations and military spending in the last three decades? Nothing. Nothing. All you've got is enemies produced. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we go in, we disrupt the nation, we bring in our Langley guys, bring in the NGOs, we destabilize. If they don't go along, we bomb the hell out of them, we re- destroy their economy. My gosh, the estimates for rebuilding the Syrian economy now is something like $200 billion. So is that a mission accomplished, Washington? <laughs> and they've turned east. They're looking to Russia and China for development and protection. Golly, we are so messed up in our priorities. War, war, and war are our top, I'm sorry, war, war, and bond fraud are our top, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. War, bond fraud, and laced vaccines and big pharma collusion are our three top priorities for economic growth. That's it. That's it. And our biggest exports are trash and recyclables. It's wonderful. Garbage in, garbage out. You mean scrap paper, scrap metal, and scrap plastic? Yep. I didn't know. Those are, okay, can you, can you be more specific? This is very, very curious of me. Oh, yeah, it's uh, scrap metals, uh, uh, the, 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 all sorts of various trash that's, that's uh, you know, hold that to uh, China, metal scraps, uh, some plastics that get recycled. Those are our biggest exports. It's trash recyclables, and uh, that's it. That's it. That's our biggest exports. Nothing else. Well, I, I, tend, I tend to think we have a very big export in diabetes. Oh yes, yes, uh, and and uh, <laughs> cancer vaccine. <laughs> and by the way, I'm six feet tall. For those who are wondering, I'm six feet tall, 180 pounds. Okay, I am not obese. Uh, <laughs> I do not have a gut, and I have a size 33 waist. I still wear clothes that I bought in the 1980s, and of course. You know, there are a couple that are my old favorite L.L. Bean flannel shirts. I wear them when it gets chilly in the late evening. But they've their collars are all worn and tearing, and I try to sew it a little bit. But got to let them go, you know. <clears throat> my point is that I'm not an obese factory. Um, I do like my chocolates. I do like ice cream. They got, oh, gosh, they got one particular flavor here in Costa Rica that it's it's a chocolate chip. And, boy, I, I, I love it. I, I, I love nice. it. It's not a big chip. 
It's little little chocolate chips, but uh, but, but does it have high fructose corn syrup? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I notice that when I go on a little binge, like two weeks, I, I buy two or three of these little uh, cartons. I, I notice, whoops, my weight got up above 180. I'm 183 now. <clears throat> so I back off and I ride my bike more and I sweat like a beast. And that's okay. Uh, I, I like to keep it at 180. 180 is my, my watermark. I, I like, it's been, it's been 180 to 183 now for 10 years. Uh, that's a, that's most great. people I know, they, they uh, and this is sad, but most people I know, they, they gain five pounds every few years. Yeah, or uh, more. <laughs> well, my dad jokes with me, he said, Jim, you know, I'm going the other direction. I'm, my, my waist size is lower, my legs are skinnier, and I'm down to 160 pounds. I used to be 175. I said, yeah, well, Dad, you know, 98 years of age will do that. Yeah. <clears throat> it's not like he's... <laughs> It's not like he's out there doing power walks at 98. He's, he, he said, Jim, you know, I have a big challenge. It takes me three minutes, three minutes to get out of a chair. <laughs> you know, when, when I show foreigners, uh, some of the uh, some of my clients abroad, and I show them like uh, uh, video clips from some of the American reality shows, like my 600-pound life. They can't believe it. They think this is not real. This is Hollywood, right? This is special effects. I'm like, no, it's not special effects. These are actually real people. Like, no. You have people like this there? I'm like, yes. Oh, yes. We have many, many people like this. Well, here's another example along those lines. <clears throat> when I have friends over and there's a Major League Baseball game on or an LFL, <laughs> NFL football game on and they pan the crowd, I say, look, half those people are fat. Yeah. And they yeah. say, wow, wow, look at that. And I said, this is cross-section. Yeah. And they don't believe me. I, I, told, I told a lady friend just yesterday. 60% of Americans are obese, and it's even worse among the young. Yeah. They, they say, how could that be, Jim? America is, is, is a leading nation. You're, you're a smart nation. You're educated. How could that be? And I said, you have no idea the influence of the Rockefeller Foundation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where, where did the movement begin 20 years ago to put high fructose corn syrup in everything. Where did it begin? I mean, here in Costa Rica, I love their fruit drinks. Mm -hmm. Most are made, believe it or not, either in Costa Rica or Mexico. Uh, Humex, J-U-M-E-X. It's a great product line of wonderful Mexican fruit juices. They don't have the high fructose corn syrup infusion. That's because they don't like freedom, Jim. That's because they don't like freedom. That's why. What? They they hate us for our freedom, right? Okay. <laughs> they hate us because of our high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> I I notice. I still do my usual. I've been doing this for thirty years, V. If I see some fat people, I look to see what are they eating. <laughs> now you're fat shaming, Jim. You're triggering them. Okay. You know, I I, I want <laughs> I want overweight people to sign up for the newsletter. So I, I apologize. For any attack, but you know, you got to get yourself in shape, and yeah. you got to eat right, and you got to get your butt off the couch and and do some exercise. I, I just bristle when I read that people are taking some increased medications from big pharma to build to deal with their overweight condition. Get off the couch and do a power walk. Walk yourselves a couple miles every other day and enjoy it. The fresh air. Just get out there. Get out there. 
I have people tell me once in a while, well, Jim, when did, when did you begin getting in good shape? And I said, when I was four. <laughs> and I, I said, I've never been out of shape. Well, that's not true. I got I to gotta mention something. I got to be honest here. When I had my knee uh, surgery, I, I tore a knee in a wrestling accident. I tore my left ACL ligament. And when I had the surgery, it was grossly swollen. I was on crutches and I gained weight. Uh, I gained I gained probably 20 pounds. I, uh, I, got, wow. I got close to 190. It scared the shit out of me. Uh, my parents visited because, you know, I had an operation laid up in Boston. Right. And uh, my dad said to me, Jim, your, your face looks fat. I said, well, thanks, Dad. I think I think it's fat all over. my. I've rubbed the hair off completely between my upper inner thighs. <laughs> so, okay, that, that's a Chafing. sweet image, huh? Okay, but I, okay, here's how I reacted, V, and I'm getting off the point of finance here, but, you know, it's okay. I, you can go back to finance if you want in a minute. But here's how I reacted. I realized that my left leg could not run and I started riding a bicycle and it was it was kind of awkward because I, I couldn't bend it right. I had to get a separate second operation on the left knee a year later to remove severe, uh, what do they call it? Um, scar tissue. Scar tissue, exactly. And I got a sample of it. It's orange rubber bands. That's what scar tissue is. It's all yeah. orange, ugly. It's right. not beautiful orange. No, it's ugly brown streaks of orange it looks like feces okay feces mixed with nice orange rubber band here's what i did i joined a health club and i started swimming three miles a week eventually three different outings of one mile per week i got right back down to the upper 160s in a matter of about four months mm -hmm. and i did some weight lifting you know upper body not the lower because my leg was messed up and eventually, with the second operation, I was able to do the bike riding again and to, to do running again. And I, I, I had good ACL reconstruction. A guy named Bolton, Harvard Medical School. Yes, sir, Dr. Bolton, you know what you're doing. <clears throat> so got a reconstructed knee from 1993. Here I am 25 years later, taking MSM chondroitin, MSM, oh gosh, MSM, uh, glucosamine chondroitin. Yeah. MSM glucosamine chondroitin. Methylsulfalin methane. It, I tell you. I'm sorry. Thionine. It works. It really it works. Does. And and don't buy those big pharma items because they cost about seven times more, and the extra ingredient is not really worth much anything. Right. Uh, just go basic supermarket MSM. Glucosamine chondroitin. Uh, I've been taking it now ever since about 1998. So I'm, I'm at 20 years of taking it every single day. And I walk, I run. I don't run a lot. Uh, I can kick a soccer ball. I was on a soccer team in high school. Uh, so the World Cup is uh, a lot of fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> I made a, a, a prediction. This is, you know, just Costa Rican lore. But Costa Rica did not look all that impressive in their qualification. I said to a couple friends of mine, and one one local guy didn't really like it. I said, they're not only going to get knocked out in the phase group, the first round, they're not even going to win a game. They're not even going to score a goal. And he said, what? 
Jim, they might win a game. And I said, well, if you don't score a goal, you don't. Well, they might score many goals. I said, really? Okay. They lost one nothing to Serbia. They lost 2 nothing to Brazil. And I think they're going to lose another shutout today to Switzerland. It's, it's pretty sad. They're out. They're out, and I got that forecast right. Reminded me of my forecast two years ago at Golden State after they won the first game, a blowout against Cleveland Cavaliers. I made yeah. a call that they're going to win the first three games, lose the fourth, and win the fifth. And Kevin Durant be named MVP. And I got that exactly right. <laughs> Jim Willie sports betting, folks. Sign no, up now. I don't do any betting. <laughs> There's only one bet that I was very close in making, and that was two years ago. Ohio State should not, that's my alma mater, should not have been invited to the Final Four uh, tournament for Bowl Championship Series for college football. They should not have been invited. And they did because of all the Midwestern influence and the sports writers and all that. And I said, they're going to get blown out by Clemson. And I asked my sports book buddy, what's the line? Clemson by nine? And he said, no, it's only three. I said, oh, my gosh, it's going to be 17 nothing at halftime. It can be two touchdowns or more at halftime. 14 to 17 nothing at halftime. It was 17 zip. They lost 31 nothing. I don't do any betting. I don't do any betting. But when when the big the big games come, I, I seem to have a knack, and it's fun. I, it I want to see. You got to have some distractions. It's it's. Oh gosh, you got to have distractions. I got distractions of sports, my bicycle, movies. I, I just saw the new Jurassic Park movie, Jurassic uh, World. Did you like Very it? Very nice. It, yeah. it, I like the first one, honestly. It, it was very well done. It was really well done. Yeah. Uh, it only lacked one thing, and that was a shower scene by Ron Howard's daughter, the redhead. She should. <laughs> she needs to be in a shower scene. Anyway, uh, she's a very pretty, pretty lady. Very pretty woman. Um, okay, so I got my distractions, and uh, uh, you know, following politics is not one of them. I'm getting a lot of questions, Jim. What do you make of Q? Do you think QAnon oh, is real? I don't get into all that. In fact, I don't even want to talk about all that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I have a mild opinions, but I don't really know. It's part of the cleanup process. Anyway, do you want to talk about the uh, the Turkish elections? Because Yeah, well, let's talk about the, the, the turd in the hummus bowl himself, Erdogan, and what is his next moves. Uh, we, we see there's a swing towards the east. The, uh, the Pentagon has canceled the sale of the vaunted greatest super fighter in the world, which is the F-35, Jim. It's the greatest piece of machinery ever created by humanity. Uh, they've canceled that sale to uh, to the Turks, and of course I'm, I'm being facetious, but what's your take, sir? Well, first of all, the F-35 is is a an aircraft that even the NATO allies don't want, but we're shoving down their throats. Correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Turkish elections uh, could bring about some change in their monetary policy. They're refusing to raise their interest rates because they got damaged by economic recession following the incident about two and a half years ago where they shot down a Russian uh, Air Force fighter jet. Okay, uh, they didn't think that through really well because a big part of their tourist trade was from Russia. Uh, They've not recovered in their economy too much. They've recovered some. Uh, but I'm hearing figures like, well, 
what was a 90% cut in their tourist trade hotels on the Mediterranean is now more like a 30 to 40% reduction in their tourist trade. So they got a little bit of recovery, maybe half or more, but their economy has gone to shit. Their economy is very, very poor shape. Now here's my call. They're dealing with a drop in the lira Turkish currency. They refuse to raise interest rates to defend the currency, so it continues down with a little bit of Goldman Sachs help. It's kind of like watching a guy going down a hill and you give him a good push. Okay, now here's my call. The Turks are stepping back from their NATO role. Many people think, oh, Jim, you got that wrong. They're, they've eliminated their NATO role. Wrong. Wrong. I've got my sources that say they still got a small connection for parts and equipment for their entire military, in particular their Air Force. If their Air Force for, for 30 years was U.S. and German, French, and British built, you can't stop the supply line for parts. Okay, so they got a, a, a minimal parts connection. I believe what you're going to see is Turkey will go to the gold standard to relieve themselves of a financial crisis and a currency crisis and an economic crisis. And they will be dispatched. I think they've already gotten tapped on the shoulder by the Russians and Chinese to say, look, can you serve in this gold trade platform for the BRICS? Even though you're not in the BRICS, it's Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. The Turks have a thousand years of gold experience in commerce, both in you know financial trade of gold and the commercial trade of gold. They're big players. They were an integral part of the Indian purchase of Iranian gold bought with Turkish gold, paid for with Turkish gold, three-party triangle. Okay, I think that serves as a prototype and they're gonna be acting, I believe, as a key intermediary for the BRICS gold platform and eventually say the BRICS Development Bank, which I've been saying for two years, will eventually become a conversion center for Western sovereign bonds into gold. I think Turkey will be tapped to fulfill this role while given assistance in converting to the gold standard. That's my call for Turkey. And they get their full supply of Russian uh, S-400, S-300 missiles for protection. Yeah, which will keep the U.S. at bay. Keep the U.S. at bay, and and they might actually bring down, say, oh, I don't know, a French or British fighter jet mm. and cause a new controversy. Maybe they might bring down a French or British uh, F-35. <laughs> An F-35 that has a failed defense system. <laughs> oh man! Well, I'm I'm not laughing. You are. I, I don't want to get 
know, the military to hate me because I think already that. No, I love the military. I just hate. I just feel bad that they're they're given third rate material in order to do a job. It's terrible. They're given like flying death traps, and um, you know, Jim, I'll tell you this story. Uh, last year they brought the F thirty five up to Stewart Air National Guard Base for the air show here in New York. So I want you know I you know I want to go check it out. And uh, there is a, you know, and, and the pilots there, they're having a little media day, and the pilots are literally, these are paid actors, literally espousing how wonderful the F-35 is. And this is just after, like, a few days of the news publishing the fact that it lost a dogfight um, with an F-16, and the F-16 had external drop tanks attached to it, and the F-35 still lost. Pathetic. Just yeah, well, so bad. Know, the F sixteen lost <clears throat> a dogfight, uh, simulate not simulate an actual actual demonstration for the Pentagon. They they lost to the I think the F five. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I love the old F five. That was a great plan. <clears throat> uh, they lost, and and the decision was made by the Pentagon. We're still going to go with the F sixteen because that it has a bigger payload. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's all about dropping bombs on defenseless nations. So, yep, that's it. And you don't need you don't need strategic dogfight power to do that. You just need payload. Payload right. for those who aren't familiar is how much tonnage can they carry for dropping bombs, which they don't like calling anymore. They don't call them bomb. They call them ordnance. Ordnance, and these are not wars anymore, Jim. It's kinetic action. Kinetic action. Well, kinetic okay. action. That's yeah, what it okay. is. All right. Oh man, Boy, Jim, okay. last. Last but not least, the EU going to Russia. I mean, we've seen what's happened in Italy. They want these Russian sanctions stopped. The captains of industry want in in, in Germany. They want these sanctions stopped. Austria is 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 warming up quite nicely to the to the Russians as well. Uh, what say you? What's what's happening with the fracturing there? Uh, as the last topic. I think all you have to do is look at the St. Petersburg Economic Forum. And I, I cannot mention that without saying the Davos Economic Forum is not about economics. It's about bankers. It's a big elite banker barbecue. And I really wonder what's going on in the basement with little children in chains. Okay, the St. Pete Economic Forum uh, had another big success with lots and lots of bilateral deals signed with Russia. Okay, that's what an economic forum is. I don't know of a single commercial deal signed at Davos, ever. Um, so if you look at St. Pete, what, what nation stuck out? Well, how about the 30 or 40 deals between France and Russia with a total of $23 billion? Now, I say every single one of them violated the U.S.-led sanctions against Russia. Then you had a follow-up with the President Macron, Emmanuel Macron. He met with a couple of different corporate leaders of Russian corporations in Paris, in the Kremlin, and it's all good. So they're moving forward with the deals. And Macron mentioned that the in time he said something like, in time, we're going to see these Russian sanctions pushed aside. And we want to be prepared for that. 
Oh, no, no. He is pushing them aside, and he's not preparing for them. He's executing it. Meanwhile, the Germans are ignoring the U.S.-led sanctions and moving forward with Nord Stream 2, despite the U.S. interference for any German company involved in the finance or construction of Nord Stream 2. And the economic officials of Germany are moving forward with Russian trade. And for the last four years, they've had a very successful trade movement that bypasses the sanctions, whereby companies like BMW and Mercedes-Benz, you know, Demler-Benz, and uh, Siemens, among other companies, quickly build manufacturing plants in Russia to sell product to the Russian economy. Now, if you think this is a multi-year process, you're wrong. They buy up a, a little underused Russian factory. They bring in the, the plant, retool it quickly. They're up and running with some production in three to six months. And it just ramps up, up, up. These are big success stories. So the sanctions have brought about a gigantic expansion of German industry in Russia. France is watching this and they say, we want some of that too. So look for Renault, uh, the car maker, Peugeot, the car maker, and they're going to have to compete with Demler Benz and BMW. I don't think it's going to work out that well, but maybe the Russians will say, we'll help you with the low end market where the high end will be won by the Germans. <clears throat> the Germans win any battle economically that they enter. They're China's that biggest trade partner from Europe. They're much bigger than Russia. You know, I, I, I remember quite fondly, because I'm, I'm a gearhead, and I quite remember quite fondly the uh, question that was asked to Ferdinand Pike, the grandson of uh, Ferry Porsche, who was the head of the Volkswagen dynasty right there. And Pike was answered was asking the, the reporters were asking a question because the Porsche 917 race car was absolutely decimating every racing event that it entered, and the question was posed, uh, "Why do you win so much in racing?" And the guy says, "Well, if 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 we the, you know we win in racing because they won't allow us to go to war," <laughs> and that right there sums up. German ingenuity and German engineering. It's its second to none. <laughs> well, the modern battlefield, uh, you know, much to the dismay of the Pentagon and the U.S. military complex, the modern day battlefield is trade. It, it's construction right. equipment. Uh, you know, I look here in Costa Rica, there's, believe it or not, there's a significant commercial building, construction, trade going on, projects. There, there are two buildings that are within a mile of my own home. There's another building completed, a 25-story condo complex. It's completed. The money comes from China, and I look to see what are the marks, what, mark, uh, what are the brand names on the construction equipment. It's, it's some Japanese, but it's a lot of German. And I occasionally see a Volvo name, Swedish. So it's mostly German, but also they, they have the Japanese and a little bit of Swedish. Okay, 
the Germans clean up. If you ever look to see, oh my gosh, look at that, they're dropping concrete on the fifth floor with a big scooper thing, but it's really not a scooper thing, it's a suction thing that sucks it up five stories and drops it on the fifth floor where they're building walls. What is that? It's German, that's what it is. These innovative construction equipment devices, they're almost all German and the Japanese watch and they copy, they do what they do best, right. they copy. Right. Komatsu copies. I don't know, there's a whole lot of innovation, you know, I might get some hate mail on that, probably a little bit of innovation, but most innovation comes from Germany. Correct, you know, Lexus I looking, copies. I was looking at brand names, because I was trying to get the full name of the Metalschaft German company, and I, I just couldn't find it, because there are too many, too many Schafts uh, in Germany, and I got a, a list of the, the major German corporations. My gosh, it's mind-boggling. There are 80, 90 of them. Wow. <laughs> the German export trade is massive. They did not do what the United States did under the guiding hand of the Rockefeller Foundation, which was to export and outsource their industry to the Pacific Rim and then to the emerging markets and then to China. Mission accomplished. You have a dead industrial base in the United States. It's not entirely dead. It's just lacking critical mass. And just to show how much of a failure that policy was for the Rockefeller Foundation, which was the major impetus for it, all you have to look at is the U.S. trade deficit. It's $560 billion last year, and it will be more than $600 billion this year. The conclusion, you don't outsource your industry unless you want a systemic economic breakdown which is what we're getting in the United States. Well, well Jim, we, 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 we were told that we were going to get a service-based economy and that we don't need manufacturing anymore. <laughs> well, it's called financial engineering. And in the early 2000 years, like 0203, Sir Alan Greenspan, who is a subject of the Queen of England and the court, uh, announced that the U.S. financial engineering offloaded debt system is a resounding success except that three years later we had the failure of Lehman Brothers and the beginning of the global financial crisis whose roots are in financial engineering yep absolutely right okay absolutely so right. I believe this is my fervent conviction and belief Greenspan's mission for the globalists the banker cabal was to wreck the US economy by bringing in financial engineering, which they knew would eventually break. Now we've got the same knucklehead, nonsensical, dipshit interpretation and promise that our bond market, which relies on financial engineering executed by the Fed, JP Morgan, and the U.S. Department of Treasury is all rock solid. So, well, did you hear what Kudlow, uh, Kudlow, uh, Larry Kudlow, he just came out. Cocaine Kudlow said uh, just right now. Cocaine Kudlow uh, just right now, uh, Jim, came out and said that the U.S. Uh, economy is doing great. China, not so good. Yeah, well, he got it backwards, but that's what he's paid to do. And uh, I don't think he knows much of anything about economics. Uh, I mean, neither did Krug. He knows how much a kilo of cocaine goes for, Jim. That's saying something. 
Well, okay, but my point was that, that the economics Nobel Prize went to Krugman, and he doesn't know much about economics either. Um, I'm not saying he's a cokehead. I'm just saying he doesn't know much about economics because he's a devout Keynesian, and they got it pretty much all wrong in the most recent years, deviating from what John Maynard Keynes actually promoted. So it's a, it's a queer Keynesianism. But, um, you know, here we are with financial engineering on steroids, with the interest rate swap derivative relying, uh, reliant by probably something like 70% of all treasury bonds being purchased in their demand. And, and we've got blessings coming from all the different major players. So I believe in the next year or two, we're likely to see a restructure of the U.S. government debt in other words, a default. In 2009, I made a bold comment and forecast, V. I said in 2009 that we would see in the following years a trillion dollar deficit for as far as the eye can see, followed by a debt restructure default. And I've got the first part right, and I'm going to get the second part right because we're going to do a restructure. It might be behind the curtains. It might not be on the Wall Street Journal and New York Times and Washington Post, but it will happen. Absolutely. Dr. Jim Woolley, thank you so much, sir, for being on with us. And folks, again, the website is goldenjackass.com, goldenjackass.com. Go there, sign up for the hat trick letter. You will be absolutely pleased that you did. It is a wellspring of information and knowledge. With that being said, thank you, Jim, for being on again, and we're and uh, and the rest of you listeners have a great week. Take it away, CJ. All right, thank you. I hope people go to goldenjackass.com and continue in their very nice, generous, lovely prayers for me and my protection. Absolutely, man. Especially after today. Did you know that Google cut out the first two minutes of our interview as soon as you started talking about the arrests and stuff? We they cut it live, man. Mm. I mean that that never happens. Usually they do. They wait until after it's uploaded, then they cut it. But they cut it live. Wow. Yeah, no audio for the first uh, two minutes. I had to refreshing complete live stream. So yeah. Well, I hope you didn't lose the rest of the interview. Oh no, no, no! It's all no, there. No, no. It's all there. Okay, uh, I'm closing it out, V. Okay, right. Jim. Have a great day, buddy. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Stay a lot of friend. fun. Bye now. Take care. Bye bye.